Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Are you are you at home or are you in the, the studio at the moment? Um, I'm in the studio. Well, my studio right now is kind of like my home. So, <laughs> yeah. Doing an Elon Musk and kind of sleeping in the workplace. Kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> How far away do you do you usually stay from the studio? Just the street away, actually. Um, so we have this lot here from where I live in this subdivision, and we kind of converted it to, instead of a garage and. Uh, we converted it into a studio. So this is where I kind of live now. Um, but I still sleep in my parents' house every once in a while. Uh, but it's just nice to have all the instruments like around me. So in case like I get bored or um, some inspiration would strike, like I'll just be around. So yeah, been here for almost a year now. Or I think, yeah, like it's been over a year. Does inspiration can it strike at any moment? Not recently, but yeah, it could. Uh, there were times when I would get really motivated or inspired, but um, I wouldn't have anything with me uh, except my phone. So that would usually suck. But yeah, it does strike. It could strike at any moment. Can you sense inspiration coming? Like, do you get a feeling in any way before it's going to hit? Or is it completely out of the blue? To be honest, it comes in very in a very spontaneous manner. But I stopped believing in that like fully last year. I think that inspiration is important. I think that it's important, sorry, to think that inspiration comes when you're working because I've, I've had moments where I was just waiting for inspiration to strike. And it was very unreliable to wait for it. So I think inspiration comes when you're actually in the practice or in the act of doing whatever you need to do, whether it's music or art or business, you got to find yourself working. I mean, it's a very blue collar um, mentality, but that's just how I think these days. Inspiration, when you wait for inspiration, you could wait forever. It could, 
it could strike very randomly or it wouldn't strike at all. So, yeah. So the melodies, will they ever come to you when you're away from an instrument? Or is it like you say, you have to be in the position for them to kind of hit you? There are moments where I would think of melodies like very at very random points in time. Uh, could be me walking in the street or be in class or uh, just hanging out with friends. But back then, I would make sure to record these melodies with uh, my voice recorder on my phone. So at least I could uh, look back into it. These melodies, like sometimes you could come up with some really good, really amazing sounding melodies. But the moment you uh, get home and you want to record it, you'll just forget. So I think those are the most random, like inspirational, quote unquote, moments. But uh, I find it more reliable to look for your inspiration when you're actually like in front of your instruments or in front of your um, computer when you're trying to record or your tape machine. It can be difficult as well, I suppose, to recapture. Like if you're out and about and the melody hits you, there's quite a lot tying into that moment. Like the kind of emotions surrounding it can kind of play a role in how you perceive the melody. And then when you try and translate it into something full, it doesn't always really carry across. Right, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's kind of like when you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, and you think you've had a great idea. And then you look at it in the morning and you're like, it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's happened plenty of times, actually. Um, I'll be working on a song and one moment I'll be like, wow, this is the best song ever. This, everybody's going to love this. I, I love it so much and I think it's going to blow up. Um, yada, 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 yada. And then I wake up the next day and I listen to it and I'm just like, man, like, what was I thinking? <laughs> it, it happens often, but um, so it's a, it's a trial and error thing. So, yeah. Does it ever go back and forth? Will you ever think this is the best thing ever and that's rubbish? And then it kind of flips again and you're like, oh no, this is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, music has that ability to change your perception or your mind like after a few listens um i'm sure you've listened to a couple of albums or songs where uh the initial listen was you know no, not so enjoyable but after a few times you'd you're like oh yeah that's actually pretty good uh and then it eventually becomes uh your favorite album your favorite song and it becomes a very big part of you it's very mysterious but yeah it happens no i completely get that like um i know you're a big fan of the little joy record it came out like 10 years ago, whatever. Correct, yeah. The first time I listened to that, I didn't get it fully. Mm-hmm. And now I love that album. It's where it's just over time. Maybe because you change as a person as well, I'm not sure. Right, yeah. Um. Well, on the Little Joy album, I think... I used to say to everybody that it's my favorite album of all time. I think it's just the overall simplicity of it, the intricacies, the melodies. It's just amazing for me. Um. It's my Desert Island album. I loved it the first listen and see that's how that's how you know that like each listener is very different so your initial listen was oh you know you weren't exactly into it but then after a couple listens you actually love the album whereas like for me it's the first listen I just fell in love with it I don't know yeah on to your second point when you change as a person does it affect your taste I think so yeah I think when I was younger, probably like what, 12, year, 12 years old or something, when I was 13, I wasn't a big fan of The Strokes. I think I heard, I, I listened to Reptilia um, on the radio one day and I was like, what is this crap? Like, I don't understand. Like, he wasn't even singing properly. 
Um, and I was like, I don't know. Uh, this is just not for me. And then fast forward uh, five, six years later when I was in college, um, I listened to them again. And then, damn, like it just hit me like a, like a, like a truck. I was, I was floored. I was like, wow, you know what? Like I was young and I wasn't too bright. But now I, I completely understand like the impact of this song. So yeah, it takes a while, you know, it's different for everybody. Jink, did it hit you in a different way because you maybe lived a little bit more, that Strokes record? By the time you get to college, you've kind of maybe gone through a little bit more heartbreak or whatever, and those songs kind of touch upon that in quite a poignant way. Right, yeah. Um, I was introduced to the Strokes by uh, a really close friend of mine. Actually, we're, in the, we're, uh, we're bandmates for this other band I'm in called The Benchwarmers. Um, it's my, my friend Sean. He was also uh, a blockmate of mine when I was in college. And I think our very first jam together, he was hyping up like the new, the new Strokes record at the, at the time. I think it was um, Come Down Machine. It's quite a little Joy-inspired album. Oh, yeah. Like you can, you can hear quite a lot of it in that. Like, um, what's the final song on that again? No, exactly. Um, call It Fate, Call It Karma. Yeah, very little Joy. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because like that was the very first Strokes song I ever enjoyed. He showed that song and I was like, wow, Jesus Christ, this is this is amazing. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I was changing as a person as well. I used to be very, I used to listen to a lot of old school dad rock music, you know, classic rock, 90s alternative. I mean, there's still great music to me and um, it's influenced me a lot. But I guess I was just changing at that time. And uh, when I first listened to Call It Fate, I was like, this is the kind of sound, you know, this is, this is the sound. I was wondering why not a lot of artists um, then were doing that kind of sound, but yeah, it was underground. So it's understandable. And then since then I would just be um, digging through like albums and records of music that sounds similar. Um, and I went through the entire discography of uh, the strokes, found out about little joy and all these like other um, indie artists, and I don't know. I was I was younger, but I wasn't like too young, so I could understand like the the music then, and it did inspire me a lot. I had no plans on becoming a musician in the first place. I had no plans to make this full time at all. Um, I just really enjoyed it, and I did it with the, the company of my friends, and we we all loved music. We all made music. It was just something we got together, helped us like get through college. You know, we were broke and, you know, living in the Philippines, it's it's not to say that we're not privileged here, but it's it gets difficult sometimes. So uh, music was basically our escape um, when we were in college. It's a little different. Like me and um, some of my other friends, we're kind of doing this as work now. I mean, we still love it, but there's definitely like a different aspect to it but back in the day it was was just pure fun pure love but yeah man that that the last song of that album was, was very very little joy i don't know i just love that sound man i mean both are pretty ahead of their time there wasn't really like you were saying there are many people doing that at that point and if you look at the kind of last four or five years of stuff that's been coming through you know yourself and, and art is similar it's kind of tapping into that slightly nostalgic kind of hazy textures that weren't really at the forefront of things for a while. Yeah, yeah. What did you study in college, I was going to ask? I took up marketing management, so it's uh, in the same vein as business management. Yeah, so see, originally I wanted to become like a corporate guy, like a businessman. 
So my dad, he used to work as a country manager for uh, General Motors Chevrolet. So he was the country manager here in the Philippines um, until he retired uh, a few years ago. And he was grooming me to uh, head to the same path, I guess. And I had no problem with it. I was fine with that. Um, I'd fi- I was fine working in the office or doing a regular job. And music was just uh, a hobby of mine that I really just enjoyed. It, it eventually became something that I'd be doing for a living. But yeah, I, w- I took up marketing management. Yeah, I did not have any uh, formal music lessons uh, when I was younger and even till now. So. At what point did music become a full-time thing for you? At what point did it kind of occupy that role in your life? Well, when I, when I realized I was actually making a little bit of money from it, <laughs> otherwise, like, I wouldn't make it full-time, like, just to be real with you. I think that was, what was this, 2017, I graduated from college. My dad was kind of forcing me to find a job. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm going to get a job like 100%, but you got to give me like a few months to take a break. Uh, I was I was super burnt out. I was just completely burnt out. Um, our thesis was hell. I probably burnt like a few years of my life just by smoking cigarettes at the time, just <laughs> from stress <laughs> management um, during our thesis. But yeah, so I just graduated and... Um, I was already making music then. I was um, uploading it on SoundCloud and I was making like a significant following there, at least in underground perspectives. I saw all my friends like upload on Spotify and I was like, okay, I mean, like, I don't think uh, this would hurt. I think it'd be super legit. And um, so I did. Um, I uploaded my songs and I wasn't expecting anything. I just thought it'd be cool that it's on Spotify. I think after a month or two months or three months, I don't know. It was, it was a significant amount of time. I think I checked my balance, received like, how much was it? Like $200. And $200 at the time was extremely big to me. It still is. But I was broke. I, had, I was unemployed technically. I just got out of college. And, you know, I was, I was a kid who had dreams of like buying like old, like these music gear and going out with friends and stuff. So $200 was huge to me. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I didn't even expect that. And then it started increasing over the next few months. And I was telling my dad, like, yo, dad, I think I'd like to do music full time for a bit if that's okay with you. And so, yeah, he approved of that. He told me, you know, do whatever you want to do. I mean, as long as you're happy doing it. And I was like, okay, I mean, I'm grateful for that. So I think I did like, my first show here in Manila, opening for uh, friends of ours from Singapore, Sobs and Subsonic Eye. And it was a really, really cool experience. But I think the moment I realized I wanted to do it really full time was when I started getting offers like internationally to play um, in their venues. So I think the first offer was from this like Indonesian production house. But unfortunately, their um, their offer was a little too low for us because we'll be flying all the way from the Philippines and it just couldn't cover the expenses. But the next offer that came from our friends from Hong Kong, Glue Stick, it all just started from there because uh, it was so unexpected. Uh, we None of us, none of us in the band, none of us um, here 
like in the Philippines would expect any kind of international touring, especially for a project this small. So um, when we got there, it was just an amazing experience. Uh, I met like a like a great lifetime friend in Palm Viperit. I met a lot of cool people. And I did a stage dive that I never did again. And <laughs> that was it for me. I was like, this is this is the life. Like, this is the life that I want to live. Obviously, like, after that, I've, you know, like, things happened. I realized that it's not all ups. There are some downs. But that's when I really wanted. That's the time when I really wanted to take music seriously. So It's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, the first time you get that money coming into your bank balance from Spotify, that $200. How does that kind of change the way that you think about the music when it suddenly has this kind of byproduct of uh, a monetary value attached to it? Oh, you know, it's uh, it's difficult at first because I never knew I'd be making money from my music. I always thought um, my music wouldn't be of that kind of production value where I'd be monetizing from it. When I got my first paycheck, I felt like I didn't deserve it, but I went with it because, you know, I, I got to be a pragmatist. You know, I got to sustain my life. I got to be, I got to pay the bills, put food on the table. To do that while um, doing something you love is just a privilege in an, in and of itself. Yeah, there were some roadblocks and problems in between over these years, uh, kind of commodifying yourself as an artist commodifying your music um trying to uh appease the fans or promoters or the trends and i think it's important to understand that the business of music it's always going to be there but for me the most important thing is to just still enjoy like what i get to do because there was a time when i was so paralyzed with my work because yeah, I ended up uh, commodifying like my work and thinking that, oh, you know, this is not good enough. Or I, I don't know what people are gonna be thinking of this. Or yeah, this sucks. Yeah, like some some other artist I know is better. It and it ends up becoming an anxiety fest, uh, to be honest. So it takes a while. It took me a few years to understand like my worth and like my value as a musician. And when money becomes a factor in your hobby or or at least in my case, like in music, it does change your perspective. But it, but you're going to have to understand that it is an important factor, but it's not the most important factor. At least that's what I learned from it. I'm a, I'm a little bit more balanced with my perspective these days. But there was a time, I think, a year ago or two, where I was just, damn, like, what if, what if, like, my music completely sucks? Uh, in the future and I'm not going to make money from it. I'm going to starve. I'm going to be irrelevant. And th- those were some nightmares that um, that that would happen to me back then. Sometimes it still occurs presently, but I've learned to uh, kind of let go of that and just to take it easy and kind of relax about it and kind of just think that, oh, you know, like we're all going to die. <laughs> if I don't make money from it, like I'll just find a job and whatever. Like, I mean, at least I made people happy with my music. At least I made myself happy. So it's a takeaway that at least like it leaves me optimistic about like any kind of future, regardless of whether I'm in music or not. So yeah, money plays a big role. So it's it's really entirely up to the perspective of the artist. Do you think those, like, those negative kind of attitudes that you had 
toward it when it came to kind of yeah those negative feelings is that part of maybe the fact that you were kind of gearing up to go into a competitive business environment and a lot of that world is about comparing yourself to others and trying to be better than everyone else was that coming from there is that what was kind of feeling that yeah um you see when when i started comparing myself to other artists to other people to other bands i had this weird toxic mentality that i didn't know i possessed it was kind of like a defense mechanism you know to think that oh you know i'm i'm better than this guy i deserve this i'm more entitled here oh shit this guy sorry am i allowed to swear yeah man go for it <laughs> okay um <laughs> i was um yeah because i did a couple of interviews last year and i was just swearing nonstop, but then i didn't even know that it wasn't allowed so Sorry, I had to just get I've, that out of I way. used to be really bad for it. I've tried to kind of tone it down. I remember I did a, someone, I was on someone else's podcast last year and I said this C word about a dozen times over a half hour. Because that's quite a common word in Scotland. It's not like as big a deal as it yeah. is other places. But I realized very quickly that that's not a, a good thing sometimes. <laughs> yeah, likewise, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anyway, so it was a defense mechanism to make myself feel better and I think it's a very natural thing to feel, especially when you're young and you don't understand the dynamic of this, the, the dynamic of being in a competitive environment. Uh, you could either see it as, you know, putting, bringing other people down, making yourself feel good, or just letting them do what they want to do and just focus on yourself. The former being my perspective, like a few years ago, and I was, it drained me. It got me really depressed for a, uh, for a, uh, short bit and i realized that man it, this is just music you know this is just music and we're not supposed to be competing in any way but i guess some people see it as a competition especially management promoters booking agents um labels but i guess for me like i don't want to be too concerned about that and that's just going to take away years of my life if i stress out about it it was a defense mechanism to make myself feel better I wouldn't want to have that kind of be, uh, attitude ever again because it's just toxic, not just for me, it's toxic for other people as well. I don't want people to think or people to feel that I'm I'm just out for myself and I'm not out to help. And that's not the kind of person I am and that's not the kind of person I want to be. So yeah, those negative feelings and mechanisms, I mean, they're natural, but it's something that we need to control um, as artists. So yeah, it's a lot easier to slip into it as well when numbers are so much at the forefront now. Like before record sales, I mean, you could find them out, but they weren't plastered everywhere. It was now with Spotify, the right. numbers are right there next to it. Yeah, that, that's when it gets tricky when um, when you start seeing the numbers grow and your ego starts to grow along with it. And that's when it gets dangerous because once your ego starts inflating and it gets um, to this uncontrollable uh, level or degree it can come back down at you really hard and i think that happened to me for for a good bit i had this like inflated ego that oh man you know like i'm finally somebody i used to be a nobody i'm finally somebody then i realized like hey you know you're a small fish in a big pond you shouldn't be thinking that way i mean it's not even supposed to be about your ego it's supposed to be about making a meaningful contribution to to uh to music to your fans to yourself and not you know not to seem like this powerful dude or this dude who makes like this much or who has this much streams but it gets tricky because i've been seeing a lot of people a lot of kids these days having that kind of mentality 
making sure that, oh, you know, I got to have this many like monthly listeners on Spotify. I got to have like million streams, right? A million views. And that's all well and good because that could that could really help your career out. And don't get me wrong, that factor in this business is really important. But once that clouds your judgment and that starts inflating your ego, that's when it gets really, um, that's when everything falls apart, if you ask me, at least. So, yeah. I mean, it sucks too, because like monthly listeners, um, they go down as well if you haven't been active. I mean, that... I've been seeing my numbers fall down as well. I haven't been releasing a lot of music like the past few years because I got I was a little busy doing some tours and you know kind of tending to my mental health. These days, I don't know. I kind of don't care about that anymore. I kind of just want to make music. So I dedicated the last half of 2020 kind of just like realizing that none of this really matters. None of the numbers, none of the popularity it doesn't matter in the end. What matters is the contribution or the content that you create. Everything else will follow. You know, if people like it, people like it. If people don't, then they don't. I mean, it's it's subjective. That such is life. So, yeah. I mean, was there a specific experience that kind of prompted those revelations toward the latter half of last year? Or was it something that it kind of maybe just been coming for a while and a buildup of emotions? Yeah, kind of just built up over the last few years, I guess. I was just really worried that um, yeah, this industry, it moves fast and it works fast and you kind of have to keep up with it. And I was never really used to that. I kind of wanted to work at my own pace. It doesn't always work that way. Yeah, because I had to keep moving and trying to uh, keep up with everybody else in the industry and in the scene. And it just, uh, it burnt me out, to be honest. It really burnt me out. I'm independent and I'm currently not under a label i've been doing things like um by myself for the past like i don't know four or five years now i only had like a manager last year two years ago but uh, i have a new one now and even still uh it does get pretty stressful because i live all the way in the philippines and majority of my audience would come from the u.s or at least in the west it was stressful because if i wanted to do a tour I'd have to spend at least four times the amount of money just to be able to play shows abroad. The expenses were high. Um, the returns were not so good as well because, you know, we had we had to cover, had to cover paying my bandmates, had to cover uh, paying for food and flights. I mean, these are all just standard, but uh, it burnt me out real quick. It got me really tired. Although they were the best experiences in my life, they were also... Um, not the worst, but I learned a lot from them. So yeah, these revelations, I guess, these these things I've learned, it's an accumulation of experiences uh, over the past three years of being on tour um, or just kind of rolling with this career. But so far, I don't know, um, I'm kind of just enjoying being in the studio again and making music and uh, not having to worry about flying in and out or playing shows or having to pay this and that. I feel like I'm much more in the zone when I'm actually just in front of my uh, laptop or playing the guitar, the keyboards. Um, it's just, just where I'm happiest. But um, It's not as to say that um, touring doesn't make me happy. It really does. But what came along with the touring actually, uh, yeah, it burned me out. I, I got really tired and 
um, I guess now I'm kind of just hibernating from all of that. So It's interesting to learn about the kind of backdrop of weight that has surrounded a lot of your life the last few years and the music. Because the thing about the earlier stuff in particular, and the new stuff as well, is there's such an innocence about it, almost. Is it tough to kind of keep that in the music when this is all going on? And you're kind of not maybe in the same slightly carefree place that you were when you wrote those songs initially? Yeah. Um, when you start becoming serious in this industry or making music a career, um, all the other factors that play in, they contribute to draining your energy. So it's all about learning how to manage your time and your energy and to know what's worth spending time to or not. Um, I guess back then when I was just making music, uploading it on SoundCloud and not really caring and kind of just sharing it to my friends and whoever would just listen to it, it was um it was innocent, you know? It wasn't um there was no motive. It was purely from raw emotion, expression, uh heartbreak, whatever it is, loneliness. It was it was just something that helped me cope with life. I mean, I'm not saying I had the most difficult life ever, but it was just something that helped me a lot. Um and a lot uh, apparently a lot of people resonated with it and so I was like, okay, I think I could do this like full time. I could do this long term. Yeah, I could, but it it changed. It definitely changed like my perspective. Uh it changed everything the way I see music and the way I see the way I view passion. And I'm not sure, but like I do my best to hide like like these down moments like from social media. Every once in a while back then I would have like some uh you know sad streak on Twitter. I do my best to kind of just like hide it and kind of show that hey, you know, I'm I'm enjoying touring. I'm enjoying this and doing that. You know, this is great. I met this person, I met that person. It's kind of like it's a journey, you know. It was a boyhood dream. Like I'm not supposed to even be here. Um I never thought I'd even be here. It was something that I felt like it was out of my reach when I was younger, but now that I'm here, wow, like it's different. Like yeah, I enjoy it, but there's so much responsibility that I only learned like as of now, like as recently. It has changed my perspective. Do I miss the old days? Yeah, I do. Me, I, I do. I really miss the old days, but that doesn't matter now for me. What's important is learning how to enjoy today and learning how to enjoy tomorrow. So I've learned a lot in the past. I guess it's uh, it's it's really difficult to say, man. Um, a lot of kids they ask me like, how is it? Like, how is it like touring? How is it like being recognized and doing this and doing that? Like for the most part, it's super fun. But what they don't understand is that when you're actually there, you gotta be accountable for everything you say, all your actions, all your words, and all the financial decisions. Nobody taught me how to do any of that until I was there. I had to learn everything on my own. So yeah, it was stressful, but um, I think I've gotten by. And these days, I think it's a bit more relaxed, a bit more balanced. So, Is that why you maybe enjoy being in the studio a little bit more as well? Because it's more of a safe space. Is, can you be yourself in the studio completely in a way that you maybe can when you're on Correct. tour? Correct. Yeah, I mean, I am myself on tour. Uh, I enjoy playing for um, the fans, the audiences, like they come out to see me and see uh, my friends play live. And that's just an amazing experience. And like, it's an experience like, like no other. And I wouldn't trade it for anything else, to be honest. But 
I just feel like I'm in my element when I'm in the studio. I kind of like experimenting, like writing songs and kind of just being being in the zone for me. It requires me to be alone and to kind of like be in touch with my feelings first and then kind of zone out from the world and all the distractions such as social media or entertainment. And when I'm in that zone, I just get really unconscious and I start making things that I really enjoy. I don't get to do that on tour because I've heard that like a lot of people write albums or songs on the road while they're touring. And I just don't understand that concept because for me, I I don't have that kind of energy. I don't have a drive to make music while I'm touring. When I'm on the road, there's really no time for me to make music. There's no time for me to um, be alone with myself. There's no time for me to be in touch with um, whatever I'm feeling because I got to be there. I got to be in the moment. I got to be in the present. So now that like I'm back in the studio, it took me an entire fucking year just to get back in the zone. Like I forgot how to write music. I forgot how to write a song. I forgot how to do things in um, the DAW and the studio. And that's crazy. That's crazy to me because like I, it was always... um. It was always second nature back in the day, but yeah, it took me an entire year just to get my bearings right. So now, like, I'm back in the studio. I feel more comfortable. I'm more okay. It's just nice. I get to make music almost every day. It's a feeling I've missed. We were all really busy trying to sign contracts, uh, make sure that this works, make sure that, like, this budget is, like, enough for this tour. It was so crazy. It was super crazy. Like... Like, if only I had footage of what was going on. There was a lot of things that happened then, too. Um, A lot of drama that not a lot of people knew about. It wasn't so serious, but, you know, we... Things like we had to find a new bassist less than a week before our Asia tour. I don't know. There's just so many things, man. We had to cancel a couple of shows. And, like, some mismanagement with the finances. Um, It's just crazy. It was just really crazy then. When you, what you were saying there, when you came back into the studio and you kind of had to learn things again to a certain extent over the course of that year, do you think there was anything that you gained from that that you wouldn't have had you come back in and you just, you knew how to do everything straight away again? Like in a creative sense, was there anything you managed to harness from that relearning things and work into the music and the yeah, songwriting? Because um, I guess like in between touring when I'd have free time, I would try to make music, but then I'd have that weird mentality that oh no like this this song doesn't sound good it's not gonna be good enough for whatever this and this and that or i don't know i'd feel really paralyzed i feel paranoid that like oh like yeah i think i think i'm starting to suck or i think i suck so it's just like those weird overthinking thoughts um anxieties that were brought upon being on the road and kind of just meeting all these amazing musicians and people and you start comparing yourself when you're in the studio. This year or last year, actually, I've learned how to reduce that and kind of just like being myself and kind of just not worrying about what people would think about like the music or worrying what people would think about myself because I always had that problem. I would be very conscious of what people would think about me or what the way I look, what I say. But I don't know, these days, like, it doesn't really matter to me now. Like, I'm just, um, I'm still trying to be sensitive, like, sensitive to all of it, though. Um, I'm not going to be, like, rash and kind of just say whatever I want to say. But opinions and their opinions. But 
I I learned how to manage my expectations, I guess. Now that I'm back in the studio and kind of just making music, uh, if my next single flops, it flops. If it if it's good, then it's good. Um, I think what's important is kind of just like getting back, like when you fall down. I mean, I don't want to be like some life coach, motivational speaker here, but that's exactly like what I've been feeling lately. Kind of just like, ah, oh, man, like I'm down. I've been down like last year, like Corona fucking sucked. We had a lot of plans to do um, some awesome shows abroad and some plans to uh, do some releases, but like everything got pushed back. So yeah, so we're kind of just like reconfiguring and retooling everything right now. So yeah, but I think things have settled properly. I mean, I'm not trying to jinx it, but like uh, I've got plans to uh, migrate to another country uh, this year. So yeah that there's a f- there's a big reason why I would be doing that so yeah have you spoken to other artists about this? Have you had conversations with them to see if it's something that's maybe universal on a lot of artists recently probably? yeah um I talked to a couple of friends of mine who are also in the the scene and the music industry um friends that I met along the way, and yeah they they go through the same thing they go through the same shit like whether you know I've talked to people like who are really really famous by now and they just go through the same thing except in a different degree um it's just all about managing like your time and your energy honestly it's the same it's the common denominator that they tell me and the same thing that i tell them as well it's universal yes but the problems that persists could sometimes differ like in nature but yeah um, it happens to the best of us. Yeah. I mean, you've collaborated with quite a few of those, uh, those artists you kind of mentioned there, those ones that you've collaborated with as well, or just ones that you um, know? Some I've collaborated with and um, some I just really know. So, yeah. I'm intrigued by what sort of conversations you're having with them when you're collaborating with them. Is it to a similar degree where you're talking about the technicalities of being a musician that way and the intricacies of how it feels or... What are you kind of speaking about when you're working on a song with someone and collaborating with them? When I used to collaborate with these artists, uh, I think that was just yeah a few years ago. We would just do our best to be friends first. Like it's not always about the work. Um, although the main goal was to churn out a song that we both loved, um, that we put like our hearts into. Um, I think what was important was that like we connected first in a human level, and we didn't really thought uh, we didn't really like discuss um any problems of like being a musician back then we were kind of just like you know discussing the song music and like like how we are like what we do as people um and we were super young we were kids we didn't really have like um an understanding of like business or 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 life in that degree back then so yeah we would i don't know it was a it was a very quick process um, we would just like send each other stems online and kind of just like lay down vocals or whatever in a matter of like weeks and it's done. And, you know, we just keep in touch and uh, support each other in the best way we can. Um, but the if you're referring to the artists that I've been speaking to recently about like, you know, what we go through, like being like a public figure, now we have to be really careful with what we have to say. That's what we agreed on. Like, you can't just like voice out like some random like shitty opinion online or else people would be dragging you down. So 
now you're gonna have to be more sensitive and careful about like your opinions and um i've had a couple of friends um you know like he voiced out like his opinion on like some political situation and like a lot of his fans like started bashing him and kind of just like shitting on him and a lot of his fans also defended him and it was just like a it was a shit fest it was um it was completely unnecessary you know that's what the internet does to us man like it's crazy we're also entitled with opinion but we're very irresponsible with it so i talked to him about it and he was like yeah you know it's it's crazy like how you can't even have like your own opinion anymore or you can have your opinion but you're going to have to expect people to disagree with it and sometimes they're going to lash out on you in a personal level so these are the kind of things that we go through i'm not saying that like no other like that other people don't go through it but it's more prominent on our end because uh you know we're public figures now or like at least like they he has a lot of followers you know like times 100 more than me you have more at stake like yeah. if, a, if a random person tweets something with a hundred followers and people don't like it, nothing yeah. really happens. Yeah. If you tweet it, it's a it's a it's thing. a very big deal. Yeah, I think yeah, it, call comes down to just being a decent human being. But um, even even then, you can't please everybody. You know, you you come up with your own opinion. Like people are gonna shit on it. And learning how to just like go through that and get through that is the most important thing. But like in my case. Like, I wasn't trained to do any of that. So it would overwhelm me when I would get negative comments from people about my music or whatever. Because I was so used to getting support or kind of just, yeah, getting a lot of love, a lot of support from uh, my listeners or my friends. But then once you scale a bit larger, uh, there's going to be a significant amount of people who would dislike your music and would voice it in a way where it does pierce your heart. So, yeah, we would talk about that as well, like how to manage and how to deal with that. And, you know, um, the older you get, um, the longer you are in um, this career, the thicker your skin will be eventually. So, yeah. I always wonder who the people are that are typing these negative comments. Like who's decided that they're going to take time out of their day to say something. It's, it's interesting. It is. Um, I don't know. I wonder as well. I mean, I would think that maybe they're just having a bad day. Or maybe they just have like a lot in their mind um, or they're just trolls. They like doing that. If you let it get to you, though, that's when you start losing. And when you start responding, when you start replying or when you start getting really scared of it, that's that's when you start losing. So that's what I learned. (laughs) Do the positive or the negative ones stick around longer? In your mind. That's difficult. We, I think majority of the time, like I'd get positive comments, um, but there's like a good like three or two or three or four percent of it um, that would be negative. When it's negative, it does stick to you. You know, you try to like, you try to please everyone, even if you can't. It hurts sometimes, especially, you know, I was younger. I didn't know how to take criticism. I didn't know how, I didn't know that um, there'd people who would be, hating on me like like in real life like shit damn i mean i i did not expect that but it does stick around but then once you know your value like once you know your self-worth it doesn't it doesn't matter because they're commenting on your music they're not commenting on who you are as a person and even if they are commenting about you as a person they don't know who you are either way like they've never met you they don't know 
like your personality really they're just commenting just based on your music or based on like the way you look so i guess that kind of reassured me that yeah you know it happens like we judge people every once in a while and we should and when we get judged i mean like it's everyone's entitled to their own opinion negative things yeah they tend to stick but um that's only because it kind of fuels me you know like sometimes when i see constructive criticism yeah it hurts but then it helps me understand what i can do better in the future when i see people make comments randomly like when they make a negative comment randomly on whatever it is man shit like i used to be that guy on youtube man i used to be a fucking troll so <laughs> i don't know what else to say it's just normal it's we're living in the age of the internet so it's just something to be expected and if you get butt hurt each time somebody makes like a bad comment like maybe this isn't for you maybe you should like do something else because like it's it's important to uh to understand that like 7 billion people in the world like you know not every one of them is going to like your shit <laughs> once you start to like get a better grasp at that like things will be better it's not going to stick as long so yeah. i'm walking phoenix likes your stuff so oh yeah 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 that was crazy um that was a i was super shocked when i saw that and like i was playing basketball or i was about to play basketball with my friends and they were congratulating me and i was like why are you congratulating me and they were like oh dude like Joaquin Phoenix like he won he won I was like oh that's cool but like so what why why are you congratulating me and they were like well check this out like you're in the article like you're like apparently he was listening to you when he was getting his makeup done I was like you're shitting me like no fucking way man and when I read it I was like damn damn that's crazy like he was about to kill that guy and he was listening to bedroom pop. Wow. <laughs> yeah, maybe just trying to generate a state of calm. But I can't imagine. It's it's an interesting one because you can't imagine that kind of style of music matching up with that character. All right. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's funny, and but it, it's really cool. Um, he was listening to. Uh, I think that the playlist was like a very, like modern indie playlist. Yeah. What song was it that was on it? How was your day? I think. Yeah. Wait, so that's the one you did with Clyro, right? Correct. The collaboration. Yeah. Had you collaborated with her before you referenced her in Best Friend? What's no. the timeline there? Which one kind of came? No. No. I mean, I was just a fan of her music when I was doing that, like Best Friend. I was just a fan of her music. And I think I added her on Facebook after that. And I just uh, took my shot and asked her, hey, you know, I really like your music. Like, do you want to collaborate? And she was like, hey, I like your music. Yeah, let's collaborate. And... Yeah, it was simple as that. We would send each other like the stems online and um, made the song. It was just that simple. It took us like a week or or two, maybe two weeks. Yeah, and then we didn't even know like it would like have such an impact like today. But that's the beauty of the internet. I know we've kind of been speaking about some of the negative comments over the last ten minutes, but that's a side to where you we now have this ability where we can communicate with anyone in the world at any point in time. Correct, it just opens yeah. so many doors. Yeah, correct. Do certain songs ever open up creative doors for you as well? Will you write a song and then that enables you to kind of go on and work on stuff in a similar style? Or do you learn things from certain songs that then carry on into your work from there forwards? Yeah, um, it happens to like almost every artist I know. I mean, like the work that you create, it usually stems from what you listen to. Back then, I was listening to a lot of jazz 
um, and a lot of um, indie pop or a lot of like noise bands. I did my best to like mesh like these genres. I did my best to like mesh um, the elements that I enjoyed the most. And I guess for me, it worked out. Um, but there were many times where I failed as well, where, you know, I would try. <laughs> I think there was this one time I tried mixing like heavy metal and jazz. And that was just a failure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a trial and error thing too. So it really depends. Um, to me, what's important is that like like each song I make as of now um, would be like an outcome from like the experiences that I've had before, like growth basically. So if I was uh, listening to a lot of jazz back then, I'd, you know, I'd be listening to something else different now. It could help me mesh something different today i don't like doing the same thing over and over again so it bores me do you take more risks as you progress as an artist then as a result of that yeah i i feel that currently i think like i'm doing music that i feel people wouldn't expect to hear i guess from me because i think like a lot of people would be expecting like you know catchy bedroom pop indie pop uh, songs or tracks does frighten me sometimes that I'm doing like something completely different and kind of just like um, thinking that, oh, um, are people going to fuck with this? Uh, so it's a risk. But I think like I trust like what I'm doing and <laughs> I think it sounds good. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a risk um, with growth because sometimes growth um, entails experimentation and sometimes experimentation could fail. And I mean, I think that's the beauty of it. Um, you either fail or you don't. Um, but the times that you don't, I think, are the times that you would strike gold. So I'm aiming to do that. The handy thing as well is you don't have to put everything out. You can. How much stuff have you kind of got in the vault that are experiments that didn't quite pan out how you expected? Plenty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff. But I'm seriously working on like. A bunch of singles for this year and like some records that i've been meaning to put out but yeah i just never got like the time to finish it um that was just a problem for me because um i'd always be starting things and i'd never finish it like i'd always think like wow this sounds super good like this sounds fucking fantastic and then the next day i'm just like damn like yeah it sounds good but like i'm lazy like i'm gonna do something else and that was a really bad that was a really bad habit that I've been trying to change. So um I've just got a lot of music sitting like just on my hard drive. But I need to finish them first. So yeah. You see, I think when it comes to making music, it's it's not just the, about the technical ability, your technical abilities. It's also it's also your approach. So it's kind of I know we were speaking about the innocence of some of the earlier stuff previously in the conversation as well it, it's kind of like that as well isn't it? when you're kind of hopping from thing to thing it's quite a childlike kind of quality you're just amazed by everything and it's kind of you're excited by every new possibility yeah yeah exactly i mean with those earlier songs as well like dancing you know that's written about a prom night or how was your day is kind of orientated around a hypothetical conversation new year's eve it's another one all these kind of like they're written about singular events right is it different writing a song when you have an event like that in mind well with how was your day it wasn't exactly 
um it was it was a fictional thing like i kind of just like made up lyrics in my mind i made up a melody and like it worked out i guess it's more of a, a narrative device in that one isn't it yeah it is as opposed to an correct yeah. yeah um i think yeah i was oblivious to what exactly the story was until somebody in like a comment section said like wow this is the greatest song about a one night stand ever and i'm just like holy shit you're right i didn't even know that <laughs> so yeah it's random like sometimes it just doesn't mean anything sometimes it means everything and with dancing yeah it was uh yeah my ex-girlfriend she took someone else to prom and i guess like i was just kind of salty at the time but it wasn't that serious um but i decided to write about it and i don't know kind of just make it a bit more dramatic so that that was the story with dancing and i guess like with new year's eve i just noticed like that every new year's eve like i'd have like some relationship problem and i'd be like damn like i guess it's new year's eve again so i'm going to have to expect some shit <laughs> so yeah, yeah. At least you can be prepared as it goes as time goes on. Yeah, exactly. I was I was prepared this uh, last year, bro. I was waiting for it. I was like, some bad shit's gonna happen on New Year's Eve. But you know, twenty twenty is weird, so nothing bad actually happened because the entire fucking year was bad. <laughs> they gave you one night off. Yeah, they did on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Do you remember your prom? We were speaking about dancing. Yeah, though. I mean, I remember my prom. It was like very insignificant. It was uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even have a date. <laughs> I was that kid. I didn't even have a date. Um, yeah, I was just with, I was, I spent it with my friends. You know, we were young, alcohol and stuff. I mean, that's it. But yeah, because I was writing, dancing wasn't about my prom. It was about like, it was about her prom because she studied in an all girls school. And so they were required to ask uh, another boy from another school for their prom. Um, well, she didn't pick me. And well, at the time, we weren't dating. So we were just friends. So she picked like somebody else. Um, but we were already talking. So I guess I felt some kind of type of way about that. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really not as dramatic as the song, honestly. Like we, we only talked about it literally one time. And then that's it. That, that can be what songwriting is though, isn't it? It's taking one little emotion and then kind of splashing it across a great big canvas. Very correct. Yeah. Is this the same person that the Jazzy Robinson piece of work was about? Yeah, actually. Yeah, that's her. <laughs> I mean, so that's kind of the first couple of years of stuff you were putting out. A lot of it is tied to this one person. Again, similar with the what we're saying about how maybe sometimes writing a song about a particular experience can change things a little bit. When you're writing multiple songs about the same person, does the process change as time goes on? Do the songs that were written later differ to the ones at the start in some way? I always wanted to create something a little different the next time around. I didn't want to stick to the same formula. But back then, it was super innocent. Primarily, I was making those songs just for her to listen to. It was like an expression of love, I guess, man. I mean, it's as cheesy as it is. It, it, was, it was just like that. Um, I actually wrote almost like two albums Like when I was with that person. There's this other one I haven't put on Spotify called 604 Diamond Street. And that body of work was just um, like how I started. I had no idea how to record music. I just wanted everything to sound like Little Joy except worse. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the songs were also um, about like that one person. Except with Jazzy Robinson, it was more of a, 
I was starting to learn more techniques in production and recording and techniques and um, playing instruments and all that. So it was, I guess it was just like a 604 Diamond Street Part 2. <laughs> Can you see, you were speaking there about how you, you know, you just wanted it to be an expression of love. Can you see the romantic side of yourself and your songwriting in your life? Can you see it carrying over? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just like one avenue of like, it was one avenue of my expression of uh, love to her. And um, it was something that I felt like I was good at at the time and something unique for her. It did carry over. Um, These days, I don't usually write about those things anymore. I kind of write about other things now. But yeah, back then, like it was a lot easier to write about love. I had a lot of experiences with um, um in that relationship, and just kind of helped me um find out find more topics in the song, like find different like words to express myself. And for her, it, I don't know. For me, it was just a a really pure form of expression. We had like a a breakup the first time around. I think like after the first year of our relationship, like we broke up. And the first thing I did was write a song and it I just ended up feeling a lot better afterwards. I don't know. Like it just had that effect on me. Then we got back together. Then I sent her that song and yeah, like things were a little better after like uh, things were a little better like three years after or no, sorry for the succeeding three years rather. Anyway, yeah, rambling. (laughs) Is it easier to write songs when you're in love or when you're out of love? It's easier to write songs when you're fucked up. (laughs) Like when you're fucked up, like from, I don't know, like a heartbreak. I mean, as cheesy as it is, it's true. It's just a lot easier because, I don't know, at least for me, the words come out naturally. And like when I'm in love, I guess, like, you know, I, I mean, I got the words for it, but... I just feel like generally it's just not as interesting. <laughs> I mean, it is, but when you're kind of falling out of love or when somebody falls out of love for you, I think the, the emotions are stronger, I guess. And um, I I found myself like writing more about love and like a sadder, love in a sadder element. I guess the emotions are more complex at that point as well because it's quite a lot of things kind of in the melting point whether it be nostalgia love sadness at the fact it's kind of slipping away there's a lot more kind of blending in yeah, it as opposed yeah, to the one correct. true emotion what you were saying as well at the beginning you know how last year you you're coming well, we were speaking about you're coming to terms with these things maybe some slightly negative attitudes in the same way that you're saying it's easy to get music out of complex emotions when you're falling out of love is it the same kind of thing when you're coming to terms with a person that you used to be and kind of moving past that can you get a lot of songs out of that too? Weirdly, not as much. I don't know. I don't know why. Like, it's kind of hard to write about depression. I don't know what to write. Um, I'm not Sparkle Horse. And uh, like, I tried writing about sadness, like overall general sadness. It's either too depressing to listen to, or you just don't have the proper words to convey it in a slightly hopeful banner. It's a really tricky thing. Um, I don't have as much songs about it, but I am doing my best. I I think I have some songs like about rising up from it, but not in like a cheesy like David Goggins life coach way. Uh, it's not as easy as writing about the heartbreak. That's 100% sure. Because the thing is with the heartbreak, it's very relatable. And when you listen to it, it doesn't feel as heavy 
it just feels relatable, at least for me. But when you listen to a song primarily about depression or primarily about demons and anxieties, like, I mean, I don't know, like, it's, <laughs> I find it kind of difficult to listen to. I'm kind of avoiding that. I don't want, I don't want to have like too many songs about that. But then again, like, it'll be sad if like I don't write about it because then those are real emotions. It's just that I need to learn how to figure out the words for it, I guess. Because when I, like I said, I tried writing about this thing like a few years ago, um, maybe last year as well. And I always end up scrapping it. I don't know why. So maybe I just got to get used to it. Yeah. Do you think it's maybe because there aren't any positive emotions attached to it? Like with heartbreak, at least you have the love. And even there, when you sing, you're trying to tackle it. You're speaking about trying to rise out of it. That's a, you know, that's when you're beginning to get the positive stuff back in. When you're just writing about the blanket time, there's nothing yeah, positive. It's all exactly. And I always, I would always try to link like some kind of like hopeful situation after. And I think that's the best way to write about, at least for me, to write about like what I experienced, like with depression and um just like overall the negative experience that happened to me a few years ago or just last year when i tried writing purely about like the negative like i was like man like i can't keep writing like this man like this is just this is just making e- this is making me even sadder so <laughs> i just like overall avoided it so i would um find inspiration elsewhere i guess like when it comes to songwriting um think about like some other thing to write about i don't have as much songs to write about um with what happened to me in the past few years because it's so hard to mesh the words in a in a way where it ends up becoming hopeful because it ends up becoming even more dark even more depressive and although i think a lot of people succeed in doing that i just think that like I don't want to get there. You know what I mean? Can you find any positive emotions in those experiences from songwriting though? Like what we're saying, what you seem to be drawn to the kind of hope in it. If you turn your songwriting gaze on this really negative time, can you find a hope and maybe a positivity to it that you didn't yeah, otherwise realize um, was there? I think there's always something you can learn from a bad situation. And I think the the challenge is to, like you could initially write about like sadness and being blue or about something or like mourning or loss but then like by the end of the song you're kind of just writing about you know tomorrow's a new day tomorrow's a better day and that's just the way i approach it um there are some positives from it like i think there's always like some positive you can derive from any situation whether it's obviously like a positive thing or a negative situation it's no different in terms of like songwriting it's just that it's a challenge for me because I guess like the emotions I was feeling last year was just completely negative or not last year, like a few years ago, maybe up until like half of last year. But yeah, they were just very negative. So finding like positive in that was difficult, but it's not impossible. Is it rewarding when you do? Yeah, because when I do, I know I would have a song that would probably be good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.